Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is Owen Jones, and this is the Cheerful Election Daily. There are 10 days left until the general election. Now, I, I want to start... I want to start by talking about something which which isn't really directly about the election. But I I think it'd be kind of weird if if I didn't talk about it. It's made a big impact on me, and I'm sure it's made a big impact on lots of people listening to this. On Friday, I was cycling through London. And I was about to cycle over London Bridge when I arrived at a police cordon which had been hastily assembled. The air was thick with the sound of sirens, uh, ambulances, police. Police were frantically yelling, keep moving, keep moving, as people fled from the London Bridge area, many of them looking very scared indeed. There'd been a terrorist attack. A terrorist whose name should be permanently erased from all of our consciousnesses murdered two people two brilliant young people, and injured others. I just want to talk about those young people. Saskia Jones, 23, a Cambridge University graduate, described by her family as as follows. Saskia was a funny, kind, positive influence at the centre of many people's lives. She had a wonderful sense of mischievous fun and was generous to the point of always wanting to see the best in all people. She was intent on living life to the full and had a wonderful thirst for knowledge, enabling her to be the best she could. Saskia had a great passion for providing invaluable support to victims of criminal injustice, which led her to the point of recently applying for the Police Graduate Recruitment Programme, wishing to specialise in victim support. She was obviously an incredibly talented, compassionate, much-loved young woman, and I hope all of us take time to remember her. Now, I want to talk about Jack Merritt. Jack Merritt, again, a Cambridge graduate, was a 25-year-old who was murdered by the terrorist. He was the course coordinator for Justice Together. And his focus was on the rehabilitation of prisoners. Jack Merritt has been described by the people who knew him as follows. One of the kindest people I've come across in A Beautiful Soul Uh, The rapper Dave, uh, his brother is serving a life sentence for murder, said Merritt was the best guy and his death one of the most painful things. He dedicated his life to helping others and it was genuinely an honour to have met someone like you. His grieving father said, My son Jack killed in this attack would not wish his death to be used as the pretext for more draconian sentences or for detaining people unnecessarily. Clearly Jack was a young man full of humanity and love. We live in a society all too often which almost glorifies the ugliest side of the human condition. 
And he was a sort of guy, 25 years old, who who lived the sort of life that I can call it a shit of piety, which is a desire to help others, including those in the most problematic and desperate circumstances, with a desire to build a new society which is free of the horrors of those that define our current society. And that's how he died. He died at a conference which involved working with people in who were from those backgrounds. A desire, his desire to help those people was with him to the very, very end. Now, I look back, I had, it was sent to me by a few people, an interaction. He, uh, he engaged with a tweet I sent a month ago. I said a billionaire, this was the debate about billionaires at the time, a billionaire is someone who has concentrated the wealth created by the hard effort and labour of others into their personal bank accounts and properties. That wealth should be distributed amongst the people who create it. So no, there should be no billionaires. And Jack responded, he shared the tweet, but he added, he added nuance to it. Uh, a nuance which actually is full of humanity. I'll explain why. He said, we've also been raised in a system where we are taught to think that this is the greatest marker of success and as such happiness. People don't want to criticise billionaires because they want to be one. We are told our inherent value is the reduction of wealth. And he was right. He was absolutely right. Because what he was saying there is, it's too simplistic to end up in a situation where you're talking about the individual's uh, it's the system that's the problem. It's a system which venerates wealth above the social good. And in a sense, he was saying, don't blame the player, blame the game. And we live in a society which, a system, if you like, which does place, as he puts it, wealth at the very apex, this, that's the definition, de, kind of, uh, that's how human success is, is defined. And if we lived in a society which placed a priority above all else on our humanity, then people like Jack would be the people that we looked up to the most. I don't know, I was, I was very moved and touched by this. I don't want to get in to the way that the Tories and the right-wing press have already tried to use the death of this remarkable young man to advance ideas and policies that he fundamentally not only rejected, but actually dedicated his short young life to fighting against. I don't want to remember either the terrorist who spent his last moments on earth killing two young, remarkable human beings. But I do think we should all take time to remember these two brilliant young people and to think, all of us, of what we can all do. And this does not relate to the election. It relates to anything we can do. I don't know, volunteering at a food bank, helping out in our community, doing things which actively help those who got the raw end of a deal in the society in which we live, showing solidarity and humanity to people, including people who are kind of 
you know, who are extremely morally complex, to say the least. So, rest in power to both of them, Saskia and to Jack. And let's just, in the midst of this intense election campaign, let's spend time thinking about both of them and let their legacy be one that inspires us all to think more about that sense of humanity, uh, compassion and and love, which obviously define them both. Now, finally, I just want to talk briefly about, I've been this weekend, so where have I been this weekend? Uh, I went to Stoke on Trent South, um, which is on the very cusp of, it's the, it's the Midlands, but it's on the cusp, the borderlands, if you like, between the Midlands and the North. And then I went to... Uh, uh, Yorkshire, to, uh, what is now yesterday. Uh, and I went to Morley Outwood, which was lost by Labour in 2015. That was the infamous kind of moment when Ed Balls lost his seat and everyone knew that was, that was really it for Labour then. And I went to Pudsey, which was narrowly won by the Conservative back in 2017. And I particularly noticed in Stoke and Trent South where I spent more time knocking on doors, talking to people. There was a shift going on. So we saw polling this weekend looking at uh, BMG, which is one of the pollsters, which is particularly unfavourable to Labour. Uh, Labour Labour's polling went up by five points to 33 uh, in a week and went down for the Tories by two points. So it was a seven-point reduction in the Tory lead. And interestingly, what they're trying to take into account is the youth vote, so the surge in young registration, a massive increase in young people registered compared to 2017. Um, but there's just one, this one I know, I think it's quite interesting. I met this woman, middle-aged woman on the doorstep in Stoke-on-Trent South, which was one of six seats lost by Labour to the Tories. And I'm going to include tomorrow a chat I had with someone in Stoke-on-Trent South, um, in the podcast. But, um, so this was one of six seats, which were all the kind of, uh, leave-leaning, northern and midland seats which the tories hoped they'd sweep across at the last election to win a majority and that's obviously their strategy this time as well and she was basically what i'd call the kind of traditional archetypal working class tory by background she uh she said she did well out of thatcher uh bought a council home uh she did talk about her resentment towards benefit claimants. Not something I normally actually have heard about for a long time. Used to hear that all the time on the doorstep. George Osborne the lot really put in a lot of mileage and time and effort into whipping up uh, resentment against uh, against benefit claimants. But she, she was interesting because uh, she was talking about her son, 27 years old, I think he, she said, and his girlfriend. And they're both paying through the nose for private, for private landlords. They can't afford a home of their own. Uh, and they're, they're paying an extortionate amount of rent. And uh, they're university educated, uh, but the girlfriend is uh, can't get a properly paid or, uh, you know, job. She's in a low-paid, low-skilled job, uh, spending all hours of the day in a care home. And what was interesting about it, it was, it, it kind of summed up almost, this is partly why you have a generational divide in politics, which is Thatcherism, produced for a section of the population a a short-term boost, which was an unsustainable, you know, it was based on a, a bubble which carried on expanding, property bubble, financial bubble, and they exploded, and that's why we're in this mess now. But that's why people like her became, uh, they, they, were, they, they shifted from Labour to Thatcher um, in, in, in the 1980s. 
But then she sees that the next generation, her son included, is, isn't benefiting from that new social order at all. In fact, they're robbed of security. They can't get a properly paid job. They, they're stuck with a rip off privately, private rented sector with a lack of security. And it did sum up to me. That's kind of why we've almost ended up with this unprecedented divide in politics. But she was thinking as a consequence of, of voting for Labour. Now, I've heard lots. I'm not going to do this kind of rose-tinted, you know, propaganda thing where I say, oh, yeah, it's all just shifting Labour's favour. I have come across people who voted Labour in 2017 who are now going to vote for the Conservatives. I've also met people who didn't vote last time or voted for another party, including the Conservatives, who are going to vote for Labour this time. And part of the problem is two problems. On the doorstep, you don't really talk to younger people. If I meet someone under the age of 35, 40 even, I'm quite quite surprised. The median age, I think, of people I speak to on the doorstep is about 60. There's a bit of research into this. Young people just don't answer doors. Um, uh, I've seen sometimes young people clearly watching television just ignoring the doorbell. Uh, If they don't get WhatsApps first, they just won't answer. Um, And older people we know are the demographic least supportive, sympathetic towards Labour. And what's interesting about that is we don't know, in terms of youth turnout, we know there's been a surge in registration, but we don't, no one really knows how many young people are going to turn out. If young people turn out in big numbers, Boris Johnson's out, the Tories are out, might be a hung parliament, a Labour majority would be a big, big jump, but it would be based again on a massive surge in young people turning out. The other thing is you do get, when you hear the kind of, I I used to be a Labour voter, but I'll never vote for Labour under Jeremy Corbyn. That does come up, by the way. Um, but actually, sometimes what I do is I, I ask, I go, hold on, did you vote for Labour in 2015? And often they go, nope. Did you vote for Labour in 2010? Nope. I'm not joking. Once in Blackpool, North Blackpool, I asked someone on the doorstep. So I said, when did you actually vote Labour then? They went under Harold Wilson. I mean, technically, by the way, that is, they are a former Labour voter. It's just they haven't voted for the Labour Party in the best part of half a century. So it's interesting doorstep anecdote, because three days before the last general election, there was a, there was a, uh, an article for something called Labour and Cop, which is very much on the right of the Labour Party, which suggested that there was a nuclear wasteland for Labour on the doorstep outside of London. And it's interesting because it, you know, it is important, by the way, knocking on doors. A lot, what, what it does is it identifies where Labour voters are to get them to turn out to vote on election day. And it does win people over. And I've had lots of conversations myself in the last, uh, in the last few weeks. People who are undecided, this is what I noticed on the doorstep, undecided now shifting over to Labour. So what I see in the polling is being reflected on the doorstep and people who didn't vote for Labour last time coming over. Uh, but also some people who did over particularly Brexit not uh, defecting, which is why it's difficult to predict. But we just do not know how how many people basically in their late teens, 20s and 30s are going to come out to vote. And that is going to decide this election. But again, it does reinforce what I keep talking about, a theme, which is about... uh, that it is Leave voters. And I went to Asheville last week again, that Leave voters are the big, big challenge for Labour now. And, and that's not to say, because I think there are some people who go, aha, oh, well, that just shows, by the way, that Labour is shifting support of referendum is a bad idea. I was someone who held out on a referendum for a very long time. When the European elections happened, you know, I was someone who thought, just have a soft Brexit compromise, move on, talk about something else. European elections showed, mm, not in a mood for compromise, people out there. Uh, so now Labour just have to just say, let's have a referendum with the option to remain. But there were those who always presented that as a as a kind of 
a cost-free exercise. And I always thought all options on Brexit were bad. And you just had to choose your bad option. I know that sounds terrible. This is the cheerful daily, election daily, but we've got to be realistic. I don't like it in Brexit when people go, aha, choose this option and everything will be great. Mm, Don't think so. I think all options are pretty bad, actually. But you choose whatever you think is the least bad option and you you try and make it work. And Labour's polling has gone up overwhelmingly because Remainers have come back to Labour. So Labour started this election level pegging with the Lib Dems on the Remain vote. Labour was on 34%, the Lib Dems on 33%. You know, there were some YouGov polls to begin with suggesting the Lib Dems were head of Labour. And I think if they hadn't shifted that result, because now the Remain vote, uh, 48% are supporting Labour, whilst the Lib Dems are the low 20s. Um, but the Leave vote, Labour has improved its rating, but from a very low base. And if it doesn't do better in those communities, then it's going to lose. Uh, now, that isn't about shifting its Brexit position. The Brexit position is the right position, uh, morally, politically, and all the rest. But it does, you know, the focus has to be in those areas on remembering, emphasising that the massive damage that was done to working class communities, the sh- you know, the devastation, industries that were decimated, mines, steelworks, factories, potteries, uh, and and that... You know, communities had their hearts ripped out of them. These industries were the centre of them. And and that work was never replaced properly with decent, equally skilled jobs. Um, but not to have this just, well, remember Thatcherism, how can you vote for Tory? Your dad's all, your mum and dad's all, you know, uh, turn in their grave. But to marry it with Labour will rebuild your communities, you know, provide skilled jobs, sort out the housing crisis. You know, the Tories destroy communities, Labour builds them. Or maybe flip that to Labour builds communities, the Tories destroy them, whatever. I think that's really, really important. Now, Labour are doing that in leaflets now, and I've been told about that kind of emphasis. But, the, you know, it's not about... Because for a lot of those voters, you talk to them, Brexit actually often doesn't come up at the top. They are often economically on the left voters who support things like public ownership, high taxes on, higher tax on the rich to, to end austerity. On social issues, they tend to be more conservative. And those attack lines on those issues, national security, immigration, uh, patriotism, although that that cuts through more uh, as well. So it's, it's complicated. And as a result, for many of them, they're not sold on Jamie Corbyn. So I think there has to be an effort to just focus on it. You know, when I speak to those voters, I go do you trust Donald Trump with the NHS? And they go, absolutely not. You know, there's this awful, sometimes liberal London caricature northerners as though they're all going to be MAGA hat wearing Donald Trump fans. Absolutely no way. Um, so I just think there has to be a kind of, yeah, the dangers post the NHS and the NHS thing's cutting through. I'm hearing it on the doorstep. People are repeating it back about the NHS, but it has to be married with a vision of hope and rebuilding communities that were shattered and remembering what the Tories did, but not just being all despair and oh, look how bad the Tories are, but actually offering that sense of, you know, the Green New Deal, for example. Climate emergency often seems quite abstract to people, but when you talk about renewable energy will bring skilled jobs to this community. Uh, when you, you know, mass insulation of homes will bring down your fuel bills. It'll help the environment as well, of course. That, that, those, you know, the how, building housing to create jobs, all of these things, it, it resonates with people who, you know, and sometimes they go, ah, oh, and this is really dangerous as well. The anti-politics thing is, is something that does cut through, which is an anti-politics cynicism of politicians promise things and they don't deliver or they all lie. And everything from the Iraq war to the Lib Dem tuition fees, uh, shenanigans to the, uh, expenses row undermine people's faith in the political system to to be honest and to do what they should be doing uh honoring promises 
and that's bad for the left. So I'd say, particularly to older voters, well, you know, Labour came in in 1945 when the country was in ruins and built the NHS and, and uh, you know, and rebuilt this country. People said it couldn't be done, but they did it. And, and that does resonate with a lot of people who, who grew up with that legacy. But it's tough, it's hard, but it can be done, you know. Absolutely can be done. I'm really convinced of this. The polling is consistently shifted in Labour's favour. The Tories do have a significant lead, uh, ranges from six to double digits. Uh, it did at this point last time round. In fact, Labour was, uh, you know, uh, there were polls on the day of the election which had double digit leads for the Tories. It can be done, but it's not inevitable. So if you want to do something about it, now's your time because we're 10 days away now. TikTok, 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 TikTok. And you will wake up with Boris Johnson's beaming face unless we do something. But you could also wake up with everything the last 10 years and all of its assumptions and all the way we talk about politics and the way society should be run completely changing. So there is a prize there, isn't there? Anyway, I'm sorry that was a bit somber, but we have to have to take stock. And again, I do want to just return to just the humanity of those two amazing young people and how inspired we should be by them. And that's what we should remember. Okay, everyone, I will speak to you tomorrow. Lots of love. Take care. Bye-bye. Election Daily is produced by the cheerful team, including Jeff Lloyd, Emma Corsham, Joe Kenyon and Joel Pearce, with music from Pete Frazier. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.